Well, we're continuing our series about God's invasion right into the world. And we've been talking about church and family, and we've kind of woven this together. And when you think about it today, there, there's 7.8 billion people in the world. And, and God had a message. And there was things that He wanted the world to know. And so we've tried to show this picture is that there's a contrast between God's view of what He wanted to do and the world's view. And, and that's everybody else other than God, right? I mean, that's a, it's a big situation because people have different ideas about what the church is and what the church should be. In fact, I just received an email from someone this week and, and they said, you know what? The church of the 21st century is going away as we have known it in the past. It's going to be online. I thought, wait a minute. Was that Jesus' plan? But that's catching on as more and more people continue to stay in their living rooms. Now, let me be clear, our online community, we are so glad you're participating. We want people safe. That, that, that is hugely important, and you know best where that is. But let me just keep reminding us that it's God's plan to gather His people. Well, we've also tried to weave in, and I've used this picture of a rope, is that God wanted to invade this world through two major institutions. The family that he designed with marriage as a foundation that we've talked about a couple times now, and the church. And God is weaving together a way to speak into this world so that they would understand who Jesus Christ is and what he's all about. And it's coming through both the family and the church. But I want to take a moment, I'm sitting in this chair, and just a reminder, you have a place in your house where the most important conversations take place, don't you? Maybe it's around the kitchen table. When there's something to talk about, that's where you are. Or maybe it's in the family room and, and you're sitting in a chair and, and the others are gathered around. Or maybe if you're married, it's, it's in the bedroom as, as you're preparing to close out the day and, and, and you get into a conversation. If you have teenagers, it's almost always late at night in a bedroom somewhere, right? They're just wired to talk at night. And, and those important conversations are taking place. They're an important conversation. I, I want to just share briefly while I'm here this morning in this chair. And that is, I want you to know my heart for the church. I want to tell you why I am so excited, not merely about the church. Sometimes people call it the church with the big C because they're talking about the invisible church that's scattered all over the place. I'm talking about the local church. I'm talking about Fox Valley Church. Why, why am I so, so excited about the local church. There's a couple reasons why I am. The first one is this, is it's Jesus' plan. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. And he wasn't talking about the invisible church only. Certainly it included that, that he was going to be gathering people up from every nation of the world, every ethnic group. And that's exciting in its own right. But he was talking about the local church. I mean, that's what the New Testament is. It's, it's letters, by and large, written to fellowships like this. And it was Jesus' plan. 
It was Jesus' plan that we gather. It was Jesus' plan that families would be nurtured in the church. And that as they got nurtured, they would also be nurturing the church and doing the work of the church. It was all part of Jesus' plan. I love Jesus' plan. I find that Jesus has always a better plan than the world or anything else I can come up with. But here's a second reason. The church is the mysterious work of God. It's inexplicable apart from the Holy Spirit. And that excites me. When people are using their gifts, when they're walking in the power of the Spirit, they demonstrate a love, they demonstrate a care, they demonstrate a generosity that the watching world just marvels at. It's inexplicable apart from the work of God. It's mysterious and it's powerful and it's invading this world. It's one of the reasons there's major universities. A lot of the major universities were founded because of the church. The local churches in areas. It's reason why kids that were orphaned and kids that were vulnerable. It was the church that stepped in by and large, to rescue kids off of the street. It's the church that got involved in hospital work around the globe, taking care of people that are weak. It's the church today that is by and large leading the charge on women being trafficked in various countries of the world, and especially our country as well. So I get excited about this. The mysterious and powerful work of God that people cannot explain. But we understand it because we understand better the Spirit of God at work. And then there's a third. And it plays into why the gathered church is so important to me. It's where we experience grace. Oh, you can experience it online. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying you can listen to a message or you can engage in worship and experience grace. But the grace that God intended just swims when the church is gathered. When someone walks in the door and they're greeted and they say, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee and talk. When we sit and listen to a message and, and people come up and they say, you know what, I needed that word today. And someone else engages with that and says, yes, God spoke to me in this. And all of a sudden there's this testimony of God's grace. There's a very unfortunate doctrine that took place or have been taught in churches that the Lord's Supper is just an example, a, a model, a picture. But it's more than that. When we take the Lord's Supper, we experience the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what God intended. You don't experience that online in the exact same way. When we see people baptized, there's a power, there's a grace. That's what I mean by grace. There, there's a goodness of God that is displayed that happens 
when people are baptized and you're gathered and you see and hear the story of God's life-changing work in their life. And you can see why I get so excited about this kind of stuff. This is God at work in our midst. And it's why I want to see people grow spiritually. Why I think the church is such a powerful, powerful institution in the world today. Well, I want to go deeper today in the Psalms and let us look more carefully at what God has to say about the church. An amazing place. A place that maybe you wouldn't have originally gone but a place where God is speaking. If you have your Bible, if you have a device online, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. It's so important that you have the Word of God. If you're reading Hebrew, you want to open up to Psalm 21. If you're in English, like the rest of us probably, it's Psalm 22. If you're able to stand, I want to encourage you to stand. I'm going to read just a few verses at the end of the psalm. Psalm 22, verse 27 It says this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Yahweh, to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingships belongs to the Lord, and the rulers over the nations, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship, before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the ones who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Amazing passage. Amazing passage. And in it, even though it was penned by David... David lived about a thousand years before Jesus. So we're talking 3,000 years ago. He had in his mind the very church. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we all come from a different place, a different experience. And some of us have doubts about the church. We question family. And yet, God, in your plan, you want to keep speaking to us and encouraging us that here's the way. God, let us hear your voice this morning. Clear out all the clutter, all the chatter that is going on in the world, and let us hear your still, quiet voice in your scriptures today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before I get to my first point, let me just say this. I want to speak for a moment to the men, to the students, and to college students. Men, as the head of the home, it is so important that what you hear today, you take to heart. Differently than anyone else in the family structure, everyone in the family is taking a cue from you. They're watching. And the question on, your, on the heart of your spouse, and the question on the heart of your children Where are you leading our family? Where are you taking us? To the students. You're going to hear lots of things. You're connected, you're wired 24-7 to some voice, some thoughts. And students, I want to challenge you to think deeply about God's plan for you and His church. It's so important 
You're coming into a time of making decisions. As you start moving into your adulting years, you're going to be making decisions about your life. And one of the most important ones you're going to make is what do I really believe about the church of Jesus Christ? And now I want to speak to the college students. You're in an age where so many of your peers are walking away. The best thing you can do when you get to your college campus, the best thing is find a church where the word is preached, where people are worshiping, and the Spirit of God is powerfully present. That's the best thing you can do the first day of campus. Don't run with all the other students wherever they're going. You need to get with the Lord and say, God, where do you want me to be worshiping on my college campus? Where in that community? That said, let's get into our first point. The church carries the banner of our king. This is so important. The church carries the banner of our king. Now, now banners are really, really important in war. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, there's a war, and it's against the Israelites and the Amalekites. And, and Moses, when he's holding heaven and his arms spread up, they are winning. And there's a phrase in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, that says this, the Lord is my banner. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, how important are banners in wartime? When we are in a war, and we are in a spiritual war of great magnitude, what is the significance of a flag? And so you may remember in the Civil War, there was a lot of chaos. This is just one classic picture. But a banner did three things that was really, really important. And when I say that the church carries the banner of Jesus Christ, it does the same three things. Here's the thing a banner did in the Civil War. They all rallied around that flag. If they were in a regiment, They didn't know where their regiment always was. They didn't know where their fellow soldiers were. So there was a flag bearer. And that flag was guarded and people would rally to that flag because they knew that that's where the men are that have their back. Well, it's the same in war today. Men and women know wherever our flag is, that's where I know men and women have my back. And that's what the flag does. The flag does this. It's a banner that brings about a unifying effect. Hey, we are all about this together. It's why local church is so important. It's why I celebrate local churches all over our area. Is God is doing amazing things in different local churches. Wherever the word is preached, wherever the spirit is present, where things are happening, there is a unifying effect of God's work, and that is the banner that we want to rally around. So not only is it a rallying element, it has a unifying element. And then there's a third, and that is identity. You identify with the people around your flag. Don't forget, the enemy has a flag too. The enemy has a flag. And they're rallying around their flag. The last thing you want to do is end up rallying around the wrong flag. It's the wrong identity. And we are in a spiritual war, and the war is between God and the devil. And he is invading this world himself, trying to bring on this war. That's why Paul teaches in Ephesians 6 that we are in a spiritual battle, and we need to be suited up, identified with this one. So we rally, we're unified, and we're identified with this one. Now we read Psalm 22 at the very end. 
Now that is significant because as we read this, we realize that David comes to a place of hope, a place of power, a place of strength. But when we go a little deeper into this psalm, before we explore it, we need to remember that something else is happening in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verses 1 to 3. Let's just take a moment and, and read that. Psalm 22, verses 1 to 3. David is praying this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See how Psalm 22 starts out? It doesn't, it doesn't start the way it ended, does it? In fact, there's a contrast. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you far from saving me, delivering me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You can see and feel the tension here, can't you? You, you, you get this, this place of him writing this, this sense of yet. After he cries out, he's saying, yet you're the one that we're praising. And why are we praising you? Where are you? And when we read this, my God, feel free to insert in there my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Now you know, we all feel that at some time. Imagine a picture of, of walking through an open field and you're all alone and you're just crying out in your heart, Father, Father, where are you? That's what King David was praying. We don't know the circumstances, and often the Bible doesn't give them. You know why? So that you and I, when we read it, we can enter into it and say, yes, I feel that. I feel that. Why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? As we look at this. But we know something about this passage, don't we? We know something about this passage that is very, very significant. Who else prayed that prayer? Your Savior, Jesus. It's recorded in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And he's on the cross. And he says, Father, Father, why have you turned your back on me? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Now you've got to ask yourself, why? Why when Jesus was on that cross did he pray Psalm 22? Because he wanted you and me to know something. That Psalm 22 was not just a prophetic prayer looking forward 3,000 years, or 1,000 years. What he wanted you and me to know was that Psalm 22 was about him. You say, wait a minute. How could that be about him? 
Well, we know the scripture was written by the Holy Spirit. Even as David wrote it down and shared his own experience. And you and I know that Jesus never felt all the things the way we did because of sin, because of our separation from God the Father. So why did he pray it? Because he wanted you and me to know something. That he was working on our behalf. The one, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, who knew no sin took on sin and the experience of it. And he was speaking on our behalf so that you and I would know that our Savior knows what it's like to be in that open field crying out, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Jesus wanted you and me to know that when we read Romans 8, and it says the Son is praying for us when we're walking through that field, you can say, oh yeah, of course. That makes sense. Because He was already there on our behalf. It's why when we talk about Jesus as a mediator, Someone that steps between God and man, God and humanity, God and women. This one, he knows. He knows what it's like. Jesus is representing us. He's standing in there. And it's why the Bible goes on and talks about these kinds of things of us being identified with Christ and Christ identified with us. It becomes so powerful. Let me take the metaphor into the church. Jesus is the head of the church and we are the body. The body may be the part that's sinning, but the head certainly knows. (laughs) You can't separate the head and the body. That's what makes us so powerful is the body is the church and Jesus is the head of the church. And as the head of the church, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. It says that He desires all people, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So this Savior of ours is in this place. So the first thing I want you to know when we talk about the church carrying the banner of our King and why it is so important is that we have a Savior that we can turn to that understands when the world turns against us. When everything starts going against us, We have a Savior who's there with us. And we're identified with Him as we stake our banner with Him. It's a powerful, powerful truth of where He wants us to go. That He wants us to rally around Him and we can rally around Him because He prayed that very thing that we cry out in our heart. Psalm 22, verses 1 to 3. And that becomes significant. It becomes a a uniting element It allows us to identify with our Savior and our Savior with us. It's why the Bible talks so much about being in Christ and Christ in us. It all starts pulling together. But let's press on a little bit deeper into the psalm. Here's my second point, is the church will reign victorious with our King. Now as we look at that, 
as we look at that passage, let, let's take a moment and look a little deeper what's going on here. David, remember, is praying out. He's crying out, my God, my God. But everything that was in despair on one side turns to hope on the other. God wanted you and me to not be left in despair or emptiness or missing out on hope. Look what he does as he starts looking at what the Jesus, that Jesus, our Christ, would do. All the ends of the earth shall remember. This was amazing. This was written a thousand years before Christ by King David. They only thought really through the lens of Israel. But God had a bigger picture than Israel. He had a picture of all the ends of the earth being touched by his work, his invasion into the world. That's what's so amazing about this. But let's go further. He says, and all the families of the various nations shall worship before you. So he takes it and he's bringing it right down into the clans, into the families that they would be encountering God. And isn't that true? So often, one person in a family gets touched by the power of God and it just spreads to the whole family. That happened to me. I've shared this numerous times. I love telling my own family story. To my knowledge, there was no one in my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents that had a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of His death on the cross. Oh, they believed some of them in God but no big deal there. The devil believes in God. The demons believe in God. And then, in the spring of 1976, I love to tell the story because it's a story of God's invasion. And he invades my life and he opens my eyes and he awakens my heart that was so dead to God. It wasn't dead to religion. Oh, I was one of the better religious people. Big deal. He opens my eyes to the truth and reality of Jesus Christ. And what happens when that happens? Well, you got to tell people. Well, who do you tell? People in your family. Go to my brothers and my sisters and my mom and dad. i got to tell you what happened in my life. I now know that I know that I know Jesus died for my sin. My personal sin. And all of a sudden I have this thirst, this hunger to read the Bible and to start thinking about the things of God. And, and then God moves me to a place of church. It's amazing. But it spread to my family and I saw my brothers and sisters, many of them trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. My dad, before he passed, there were great conversations of his trusting in Christ and him alone. Powerful. But that's how God works. So often it is through the family is that one person comes to Christ. But look what he says here. He says, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He's the king. He's the ruler. That's why we're talking about him being victorious and walking in his banner. That the Lord is our banner, the King is our banner, Jesus is our banner, and He's the one that we rally around. He's the one that unifies. He's the one that I want to be identified with. That's where this is all going. And look what it says. It may not look like this, but He rules over the nations. Do not be deceived. One day, 
There will be no one confused about this point. One day, everyone, their knee will bow to King Jesus. They may not bow now. They may think they've got all the power. They may think they've got the fame. They may think they've got the glory. But one day, that's all going to be flipped on its head. And that's the foolishness of the world. The world is foolish. Foolish as they deny who is really king. And what you need to know is that Jesus will be victorious. And he planted his flag on Calvary. When he died on that cross, he said, I conquered death and I destroyed the power of sin. Yes, he rules over the nations. And when he returns, let me tell you, he will return as king and judge and no one, no one in this world will be confused at who's in charge. No one. That's what the psalm does. So while David's crying out, my God, my God, he finally finds himself in a place where he says, this one rules. But let's go even deeper. He now makes a distinction all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. That becomes significant. But then he talks about those who go down to the dust, even the ones who not, could not keep themselves alive. He's drawing a contrast. He's saying it doesn't matter whether you're prosperous. He doesn't matter whether you're poor and whether you're dying. Didn't Paul pick up the same theme in Galatians chapter 3 when he said neither male nor female nor free nor slave, right? He, he's bringing out this contrast that the gift of God is available to everybody and that's what David was writing about was the hope and glory of Jesus Christ. But now let's go into the final verses of this psalm. It says this, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told to the Lord to coming generations. And this is what the church is to do is that we should be looking to the next generation pouring out our lives to build the next generation to bring a message of hope of the story of Jesus Christ. Look how it goes. To the coming generation, they shall come and proclaim the righteousness of to a people yet unborn. That's another reason I get excited about the church, is that the church is the one that's on a mission. The church is the one that has purpose. The church is the one that has an eternal purpose. And so as we think about it at Fox Valley Church, we say it this way, we are at our best when we're telling and showing the story of Jesus. We are at our best when we're telling people about God's work through human history. And it started as we look at Psalm 22 this morning that our Savior himself sees that we have a need. The reason we're so bankrupt and so empty and thriving and striving and working to try to make money and make ourselves happy is because we're trying to do it so often apart from God. And yet we begin to see by the end of the psalm it's really all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's his banner because he is the victorious one. Let me just tie this together a little bit more with our, our value statement. One of our core values at Fox Valley Church is a passion for local and global outreach. We're all about this at Fox Valley Church. I often say we lead with mission. 
Why? Because we've got each other. We're taken care of. So we've got to lead the charge to get out there and touch people's lives. That's why I get excited about our ministry, Administer Justice, bringing legal services to the poor and the needy. It's why I get excited about our partner ministry with Refuge for Women. It's why I get excited seeing women getting rescued off of the street that have been trafficked, people that have been oppressed by this unfair, unjust world. I get excited about what God is doing through the Crisis Pregnancy Center, the TLC Center. I get excited about things because this is what God is doing and we are partnering with it. And then there's people at Fox Valley Church doing it all the time, bringing the message of hope. So we are, as a core value, all about local and global. It's why we support missionaries in different parts of the world. So what, we do, what do we do? There's one action step this morning, and that is that we, all of us, need to be out there telling and showing the story of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the truth of your word, the power of your word. Thank you that you are in control, that there's no mistaking it. Even if we don't see it all the ways we want to see it, you are there and you are victorious, and we celebrate that great work. So God, we just pray that all of us would stay in this posture of seeing Jesus as king, rallying around his banner and telling and showing his story. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.